Now this morning as we resume and I'm sort of back here, I'm excited about finishing off our sermon series, which is on the seven churches from the book of Revelation. We come to church number six this morning, and we're calling this Stop Overthinking It because we have a congregation of overthinkers. Amen? Amen. Yes, we do. We get it in our head. We start spinning. That squirrel cage starts going, and it really can become problematic. And so the scripture gives us just these basic concepts, just to listen to them and hear them so we can get some of that other stuff out of our life and and we can hear what God wants us to hear as a perspective on today. And these letters were written by Jesus, is what the text tells us, that John has these letters that he's sharing with these seven different churches, but it wasn't only for them, it's also for us. So as you hear this letter and as you hear this text, this isn't just something for a church in the first century, it's also for us to hear today. And it's taken from Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. If you have your Bibles, turn to it. I'll be reading verses 7 through 13. If you use an app, go to something like Bible Gateway and let us hear the scripture as John has presented it to us. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works before Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but a little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what I hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers him uh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which comes down from God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Simple question. Have you ever felt like quitting? Let's see a raise of hands. Have you ever felt like just being done? Anything? Yeah. Maybe it's because of something somebody else said. Maybe it's because of something else somebody else did. Maybe it's something you did yourself or just a sense of being overwhelmed. We've all been there. We've had those moments where we just want to give up. That's what this letter was written to, is a group of people who just felt like it was too much. Maybe you're struggling with this this morning. Maybe there's something in your life you're like, you just don't understand, Pastor Stan. This has just gotten overwhelming, and I can't keep going. Well, this is a text for you, and that's why this text was written. It was written to Philadelphia. No, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This has nothing to do with the 76ers or the Phillies or any of the sports teams. This is Philadelphia, which is in modern-day Turkey, and it was a first-century city. It was kind of an interesting city because it wasn't real huge, and it wasn't necessarily a city that other people would think of, and we're going to talk about it more as we go along. But sort of think of it as the Fargo, North Dakota of the first century. 
Yes, I found a way of working North Dakota into my message this morning. Now, if you're not from Fargo, North Dakota, you probably don't think, think a lot about it, but somebody like myself, I do, because I have family there, but most people just kind of think, oh yeah, that's like some city out on the prairie out there somewhere. It's important. If you live near it, it's important. It's a, it's a center of, of education. In fact, Microsoft has a big company there, but for the rest of us, most of the time, it's not like New York City or Washington, D.C. or one of those prominent places, and that's what Philadelphia was in the first century. In fact, we're going to talk about this more, but as you would go east through what, again, is modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor at the time, if you were part of the Roman Empire, it was sort of the last city before the frontier. It had an interesting name. It was a compound name. Philo, does anybody know what the word philo means? It means love. Philosophy is love of knowledge. Again, it uses that same idea, philosophy. Philoadelphia, love of Adelphia, was a word for brother or sister, sibling. That's why we call Philadelphia the city of brotherly love. It comes from here. So the idea is this was a city dedicated to this idea of loving and caring for one another. And yet it's interesting that in the first century, later, a letter was written to the Christians there saying, quit listening to the negative speech and the awful things that are being said that are dividing everybody. Likewise, Jesus, in this text, says, oh, there's such opposition that those who are opposing you are literally of the synagogue of Satan. Hardly a place of brotherly love, is it? Isn't that ironic? The place that's named about people getting along with each other, and yet at the same time, there's great division and a lot of problems with people not getting along with each other. Haven't we all been in those situations? We get together for our Thanksgiving meal, and everybody's going to make happy and nice until somebody storms out the door because something got said that hurt somebody's feelings or our feelings. Or we're involved with the church, and we're all supposed to love and care about each other, and then we start seeing divisions and hurts and pains, and we go, how can this be happening? But you know what's it's happened from the creation of time. In fact, if you read the Bible, which I do and we all do here, we know that it starts with the story of creation, and right away we hear about the fall. What happens? Cain kills Abel. <laughs> Early on, we start seeing in the scripture that people do hurtful, harmful things to one another. Even in places where we expect that everybody's going to get along, division takes place and problems take place. And so we can all kind of identify with this. Those things that tear us down and get us discouraged and get us frustrated, and how can people act like this? That's why one of my favorite sayings comes from the 1970s, it's called Negative Naysayers of Nabom. And when I hear people being really negative, I like to think of that text. Negative Naysayers of Nabom. It kind of puts a little humor on it and gets me back realizing not to listen to those negative voices. Because otherwise, what happens? It stops us dead in our tracks. We start hearing the negative stuff. We start hearing the complaints. We start hearing the criticism. And we just get discouraged. Amen? I'm going to try that again. We hear the negative voices. We hear the negative things that get said. They get us discouraged, and we want to give up. Amen? Amen. That's what happens. Well, Jesus has a word for them and a word for us. It begins with this. Remember, God has work for you. Remember that. 
at those moments when we want to give up, we need to just keep going and remember God has work for you. Verse 8, Jesus says it clearly. I have set before you an open door which no one's able to shut. I know that you have but a little power, yet you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. An open door, Jesus says. Look at life as an open door. Realize Jesus has opened the door before you and walk boldly into today. Walk boldly into tomorrow. Do the things that God's called you to do and do it with joy and thanksgiving because that's how we're supposed to live our lives. Amen? Amen. That's how we're supposed to live our lives today and every single day. And yet Jesus also says to them, and he says to us, even though you may think you have but a little power. You may look at everything else and think it's all powerful and big and all this other stuff out there may look like it's overwhelming. Don't let it discourage us. That's what he's saying to the church in the first century. Well, how about this open door idea? We kind of have the idea. We get the concept, right? A door is open. But why exactly did Jesus call it an open door? You are asking that question. I'm sure you were all sitting here thinking, why an open door, right? No, yeah. Somebody was thinking that. Was somebody thinking, say, ask Pastor Stan, why an open door? That's a great question. I heard Alona say it from the back. I knew somebody was thinking that question, and I'm glad you asked. Well, how many of you ever heard of St. Louis, Missouri? Exactly. We've heard of St. Louis. What is St. Louis, Missouri called? The gateway to the west. And they have a big arch. Remember that? You see that great big arch? And, and that was because when settlers went west, that kind of became the last city before they went out west. And so the wagon trains would go through St. Louis and became the gateway to the west. Well, interesting, Philadelphia was called the door to the Middle East. So when the Roman Empire was going east, they were going through modern-day Turkey, and there were all these major cities. Remember we said it was kind of the last city and a small city? It became that city that they launched into the rest of the eastern world. They'd go to what's modern-day Iraq, Syria, Iran, all that area, but first they'd go through Philadelphia. So Jesus is doing kind of here a play on something people already understood. You're living in a place that everybody's supposed to get along. Unfortunately, everybody's not getting along. But you're living in the place where the Roman Empire is going forth and doing all this stuff to expand the empire. Look at your life the same way. You have the open door. Jesus wants you to know in your life, you're like the gateway to the west, the door to the east. The door is open before you. The things you feel called to do, yeah, you're called to do. The things you're doing today, yes, they're important. Yes, what's happening in your life matters. The door is open. Walk through it with boldness and courage and encouragement. Amen. But we start thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Or as Jesus says, you start thinking, I don't have enough power. Well, there's these old Christian movies that I love to watch. My family sometimes says they're kind of corny, but I think they're all great. They all end with nice endings and, and the whole bit. People tell me the acting isn't always the best in them, but I never mind. I even don't mind the fact that they take the same actors and they have them in, in the next one and the next one and the next one. Well, one of them is called Facing the Giants. And one of the scenes I've always liked in Facing the Giants you have to know a little bit about the background of this movie. It's about a Christian high school called Salem High School. 
And in that high school, they have a coach who's a football coach, and everybody's expecting a great season out of the team, but of course, this is a movie, the team starts doing poorly. And the team keeps losing, and the dads and moms and everybody gets all upset, and there starts to be division, and the coach starts getting discouraged because he's listening to what everybody else is saying and he's getting frustrated and he doesn't know what to do and then he hears the worst thing a coach can hear. They're having a secret meeting. All the parents are getting together and they're going to have this secret meeting to oust him as a coach. You can imagine how discouraged he is. And he's sitting in his, his office and as the camera comes on him and you can just see the discouragement on his face. At the same time, there's another man who walks around the school and he prays for everybody. He literally goes to the lockers and he prays for everybody at each locker and he prays for all the teachers and he storms into the coach's office and he takes his Bible and he pops it down and he says, you know, as far as I can see it, you're the coach because God made you the coach. And if God doesn't want you to be the coach, God can take away your being a coach. As long as God has you as a coach, you're the coach. Until God removes you the coach, then you won't be the coach. But right now, he made you the coach. Go be the coach. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. And he walks out of the office. They go on and win the state championship. We know that. That's the point. The door is open. No matter what somebody else says, the door is open. No matter how discouraged we may be, the door's open. The coach was still the coach, and yes, he didn't get removed as a coach. In our lives, the door's still open. What God wants us to do, we're to do today. What we have as plans and purposes today matter. What we're doing at this moment is important in our lives, and we need to walk with courage and boldness and embrace today and embrace what God has for us, and living any other way is not living by faith. Amen. I was 42 years old. And I started saying, I'm too old. 42 years old, that's 20 years ago. I don't feel like I'm too old now, but I felt like I was too old then. I was getting discouraged. That's the one reason why I think I embrace that scene from that movie. Because I've been there. I've been at that moment when I thought, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not as good as someone else. I'm too old. My time has passed. No, it's not for any of us. Today at this moment, the letter that Jesus writes to the church at Philadelphia is for us. Stop overthinking it, folks. God has work for you and me to do today. But that's not the only thing that stops us. Another thing that happens in our life is we start to say, why bother? Life's not fair anyway. That's not fair. Fine, so I can, I can embrace what I'm doing today. I can go to work even though things have been discouraging at work or I can move on with a relationship with, an, with my family and believe that things are going to get better. But you know what? Life's not fair. I see it all the time. You don't understand. If you were in my shoes and you saw the stuff that I saw, you'd realize how unfair I've been treated or others have been treated well, that's why Jesus doesn't just give us one word. The second thing he tells us is, remember, God will bring justice. Did you hear that? Who will bring justice? God. Who will bring justice? God will bring justice. Not Pastor Stan, not you, not me. The world can be an unfair place. Remember that early story in the Bible? 
Cain kills his brother. That's not a good thing. That's not justice. That was an innocent victim being killed by his older brother. Verse 9. Behold, Jesus says, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they're Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them and come down before you and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Grammar lesson for the day. When we use the word you, we don't know if you're talking about one person or two people. If I said, you were invited over to my house for dinner next Sunday, you wouldn't know, was he talking to one of us or all of us? The word you is you. It can be one or it can be more, correct? We, we get that, right? That's not exactly true. If you live down south, I think they have the plural of you. They call it y'all. But I'm from New England, so we don't do that. Now, I also want to tell you, and I know I have friends who watch our service, so if anybody is watching from Lowell, Massachusetts, you know that in Lowell they have another plural of you. They call it yous. I'd never heard that one before. Yous all invited over next Sunday, and that meant you plural. Well, yous I don't use, and y'all I don't use. The rest of us just say you. We mean it singular, we mean it plural. Well, in our text, it's interesting that in the Greek language, they could distinguish between you plural and you singular. And again, you're asking, why does that matter, right? Why does that matter, Pastor Stan? I'm glad you asked. Here's why it matters. In this text right here, the you is singular. This is written to you personally. This isn't a general thing for everyone else. This is for you when you have had injustices in your life and things in your life that have been wrong. Listen to what Jesus says to you personally. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, I will make them come and bow down before your feet personally. They will admit that they are wrong. You know all those times in our life when we say, oh, I wish justice would happen? That's the promise of the text right here. And they will learn that I have loved you, personal, singular. It's a personal note to every person in the Church of Philadelphia and to each one of us. That when we face those things that we say, I just want to give up because it's unfair anyhow, whether it's something silly like somebody cutting us off in a traffic frustrates us to no end, doesn't it? Can't believe it. Can't believe they did this. How can people get away with it, even though we do the same thing ourselves? But we don't like to remind ourselves of that at that time, or whether it's some big injustice. The truth is, we feel like people get away with things, and yet the promise of the text is, no, that's not true. No, God is sovereign, and God is in control, and those who need to be brought to a point where they have to admit they're wrong will have the opportunity To say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. That's what the promise is. The first pastoral issue I ever faced, first time. I'm a young pastor, but I wasn't in a a church yet as a senior pastor. I was a student pastor in Waterloo, Indiana. And I got a phone call about a car accident that happened with a young person in my youth group. She was a freshman in high school. She had that last year, she had won the state championship because she was their starting pitcher. And because of a drunk driver... She had been hit, and she was now paralyzed from the waist down. Now, the senior pastor had a whole lot more responsibility on how to deal with the family, but I was also asked to go in and visit and spend some time with her and her dad. 
and her dad's words have always rung through my ears. I just want justice for my little girl. We get it. We feel that of that father. We face those things in our life when we say, I just want to know that wrongs are set right, and that's the promise of the text. Yes, the wrongs get set right. Yes, the things that you see that you think people are getting away with, the Bible says they don't get away with them. Amen? It's true. God is sovereign, and God is merciful, and God is graceful, but you're also told you will one day be able to say, it's okay, I get it. God righted every wrong, and justice is not only met in some general sense, but in such a way that I can be satisfied. Why does it matter? So we can get on with our lives. That's why it matters. So we can turn it over to God and be okay with it and say, okay, I can live with it. I can give it to God because God has promised me personally that I don't have to carry this. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. I don't have to do it. I'm not the person who brings about justice in this world, and neither are you. And so well, those moments in our lives when we want to give up, as the church in Philadelphia was getting frustrated, we remember Jesus' promise. And then he says, beyond that, when you can do that, when you can accept it, it's right here in verse 9, you become a pillar in God's temple. Now that's not talking about a physical building. You know, as Faith Community Church, we're getting rid of one of our buildings. That building's been around for over 150 years. But you know what? The church is not a building, folks. The church is a congregation. It's those of us who worship God. And it doesn't matter whether we worship in a Duxbury building, a Plymouth building, or whether we build, worship in a parking lot. The church is a people. It's God working in our lives. It's not this building. And I'm sorry, as important as this building is, this building isn't that important either because God works through people, not through buildings. So when we're told that we are pillars in God's temple, that doesn't mean that there's going to be some temple and Pastor Stan's going to be holding up some beams. And you're going to be able to go, oh, a petrified Pastor Stan holding up this building. But rather it says that when we learn to trust God and we learn to turn the things over to him and accept the injustices in this world as the church in Philadelphia needed to and accept the fact that God will right the wrongs, we become a pillar in our church and in our community. And you become the person that when somebody else is struggling, they can come talk to you. And you and I become the pillars, the strength. Because you know, when any of us go through something that's tough, we don't want to talk to somebody whose life has always been perfect and everything has gone well. We want to know that there's people who have been strong enough and had enough courage and enough faith to get through it. And that's the promise to the Church of Philadelphia. And that's God's promise to you today. Whatever you face, whatever may seem unfair, whatever may seem wrong, whatever someone else may say that discourages you, whatever may hurt your feelings, whatever you may have done that makes you say, I want to give up, the text says, keep going. Just keep moving forward. Trust God and others will be inspired and they'll be able to learn from you and learn from your example because that's the way God works. Stop overthinking it, folks. God is faithful. And God will always bring around justice. And that's why we can trust him. Because all the stuff that we carry that gets us burdened down and gets us discouraged, we can turn over. And we turn our life and our will over to God. And we learn that God can be trusted. Verse 11, I'm coming soon. Coming soon, he said. Hold fast. You can trust me. 
don't worry about it. Now, I know that when we hear those words that Jesus promised to return, that's 2,000 years ago, and we go, man, if this is soon, I'd like to know what long is, but that's God's timing, not ours. The promise of the scripture is you can trust Jesus. He's promised that it would be soon, and in God's thinking, it's soon. And yet, this is where we struggle. Things start spinning in our heads, and we say, okay, fine. But I had to keep going yesterday, and I had to keep going last week, and I had to keep going a month ago and five years ago, and you're right. That's how we live our lives by faith. There's times when things are going well, and our life, everything seems to be working out well. And during those times, we're like, man, I got through it all, and I can trust God. And at other times, there are things that are discouraging us. We need to have that same bold confidence to know every single day that God has work for us to do. The door is open before us. God will meet out justice. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to carry the stuff. We can turn it over to God, and we can keep going. A number of years ago, I was in my last church, and I must have looked like I got run over by a train in the morning because I walked in, and Lenny, our church organist, looked at me. And he said, what's wrong? And he knew exactly what was wrong. I was a father of two boys. Need I say more? And I was having one of those moments. And he said, Stan, let me tell you something. He said, my mom was a little itty-bitty woman about this tall. And she said, me and my brothers, we were big, tall guys. And she said, that woman, she knew how to control us. We were terrified of her. When she told us what to do, we did it. And she never let us ever think for one moment that we were in control. She let us know she was in control. And she said, years later, my brothers and I have talked, and we've said, remember, Mom, she was a little short lady. And we were like big, tall high school students, and we were terrified of her. But she ruled the roost, and she let us know we could always trust that she was going to make the right decision. And then he said these words, don't let them win. Don't let them win. You may think that they want to win, but they don't want to win. They want to know that you're the dad. Just keep going. It's the same message, folks. You see, people will let us down, and we're not going to get it perfect. We're going to make our mistakes, and we're going to do the things that are going to have us frustrated, and we're going to have those moments when we're going to say, how can we do it again? But we can trust God. We can put our faith in him, and we can keep going. And when others around us seem to be doing these things that we're like, I don't understand that, and it doesn't make sense, we just keep putting one foot in front of the other. We're not going to get it perfect. We're not going to have it all figured out. And we're going to make our mistakes all over the place. You know, we've gone through a tough time this last year and a half. I don't know if any of you have noticed, but we've been in the middle of a pandemic. And we haven't done it perfectly. None of us have. I got permission for the next story, so I'd like to just share it. It has to do with Destiny, who's over helping with our children's ministry. One day, Destiny showed up to church in the middle of the pandemic, and she looked like she was just having a tough day. And I looked at her and said, Destiny, do you need a hug? And she said, oh, yeah, I need a hug from my pastor. And we gave each other a hug, and I go, oops. She goes, oops. We weren't supposed to do that. 
Now, my brain can start overthinking at that point, can't we? What have we just done? We're supposed to do that. I'm trying to follow rules. Anybody see what we did? Now, the story gets even more interesting. Shortly after that, she called me on the phone. She'd been exposed to COVID through work. And she came down with COVID. And now she was even more concerned. Oh, my goodness, did I get my pastor sick? Is he going to spread it to his wife? Our brains just start spinning. It was all okay, and it all ended up being okay, and, and nobody else got sick, and that was a good thing. But that's what we do to ourselves, folks. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to get it all right. We're not going to make every decision the way that we should make it and be able to look back and say, oh, I can be okay because I did it all perfectly. No, we don't. We're never going to do it that way. We are imperfect human beings who mess up every single day. But we know that God can be trusted. We know that we can put our life and our will in his hands, and we know that we can keep going because that's what our text reminds us. We need to get out of our heads. We need to stop overthinking it. Trust God and just keep going. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus' word to us today. Because we're not perfect. And we're not going to be perfect. And we're not going to get it all right. And we're going to have messed things up. And we're going to hear people say things that are going to get in our heads and are going to discourage us and help us just get rid of that and put our faith and trust in you and know that you are carrying us forward to a brave new today and tomorrow. We thank you for the Church of Philadelphia, a bunch of people who are supposed to get along with each other and they found themselves in turmoil. And Jesus said, it's okay. You can still trust me. Help us to put our faith in you. Whatever we face today or whatever we face in the days ahead, help us know that your word to us is to just walk through that open door that you've opened for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.